grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a privilege it is for me to be with you here this morning. Uh, we're continuing up, uh, continuing our Lenten journey and sort of finishing our sermon series in Mark chapter 14 and 15. And our text today comes from the last part of Mark chapter 15. I'm just going to read it through and then we're going to unpack a few things, all right? Mark chapter 15, it's in your handout there and also it should be up on the screen. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. But with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. And so as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. And so summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. And so Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And like I said last week, and especially if you're a guest with us here this morning, uh, these texts are really heavy. They're really serious, and they show us the extent of what Jesus endured for us, for humanity. Back to my life group this past week, we were talking about that. We were looking at the part where, where Jesus was mocked, and we're like, man, this is serious stuff. And we were kind of like, it's okay to be serious. It's okay to let a deep message seep into the contemplative parts of our being and to take in Jesus. That's part of the Lenten journey. And so I hope that this week you will also let this text continue to seep into your life, deep down into to your being, maybe on Wednesday worship, maybe in your life group, maybe with a devotional you could pick up on the way out to let God speak into your heart, to really dig down deep into God's love for us. Speaking about dig down deep, anybody heard that song, Dig Down Deep, before? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, if you've got a preschooler, man, it's been going through their brains, right? Yeah, the preschoolers are coming. They'll be here in a moment. They're going to sing Dig Down Deep. They're going to sing Jump in the Light, 10,000 Reasons. It's going to be awesome, but you've got to endure me just a few more minutes longer, my friends. <clears throat> just a few. I'll cut it short, all right? But seriously, I love our preschoolers. This past year, I got my security clearance with the FBI, Homeland Security, and CIA, and so now I can lead chapel with them. Just tease it over here. But we want to keep our preschoolers safe, so you got to, you know, even the pastor's got to get all the background checks to go in there and to lead them in chapel. And I've been able to lead chapel with them this past year, and I love it. I love it. They are a great group of kids. 
I'm a little biased because I have a preschooler and two of my older kids have gone through the preschool. But even if I hadn't had that, our preschool is known to be an awesome place for children and their families. We've got a great preschool, great staff, great director. And something that always sticks out to me when I think about our preschool is this idea of belonging, the idea of having a place, the idea of having a community with others. And that includes parents, not just the preschool kids. Anyway, one of our daughters started preschool a number of years back, and she was so, so shy. At the beginning of preschool, shy. I mean, she was absolutely afraid, scared to go to preschool. I mean, we learned out later that's like a natural thing. It's a scary thing to go to preschool the very first time. And even, even though the little ones, they can't even say it, they can't even articulate it, but they are thinking and feeling things like this. They're feeling like, will I fit in? Will I have a place here? Will I belong here? Will anybody be there that's like me? Will the teacher love me? Can I trust her? They can't say it, but that's what they feel. And the more I thought about it this past week, I was thinking, the reality is that every human being has that sort of need too. Even us big kids. We want to fit in. We want to know that we have a place in this world, that we belong to a group of people that aren't necessarily exactly like us, but we have some sort of commonality that give us a sense of community and belonging. And we have a leader that understands us. We have a preschool teacher that knows what we're going through. And that sort of thing works in all sorts of areas of life too, right? Especially when it comes to leadership. I mean, if you think about whether it's a political leader or especially a boss at work or a police chief or a professor, a principal, a pastor, even a preschool teacher, we gravitate towards leaders that we can relate to, right? We want a leader who knows what it's like to live down here in everyday life. That's why they say in war that a general who has seen combat is respected by his troops on the ground because he knows what they're going through and he leads from experience. There's a sense of identity, a sense of belonging and community when a leader of a group knows the experience of those they lead. And those they lead say of the leader, she gets us or he understands us. They know what we are going through. They can relate to us. We all want that sort of leader and that sort of community to be a part of. Mark 15, verse 34, right at the very end there, Jesus says, my God, on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the very first words of Psalm 22. And some people, some Christians in the history of the church, they've had a problem with Jesus saying these words on the cross, like they know better than him. They think, well, Jesus couldn't have felt and he couldn't have been forsaken and abandoned by God because he is God the Son. And so instead of letting the words say what they say, they say that he just said that first part of the psalm there to get it going, but he really meant the whole psalm. And later on, down in verse whatever, whatever, down 20 verses later, it talks about confidence. It talks about trust in the Heavenly Father. And so Jesus is not expressing being forsaken by God the Father. He's talking about trusting and being confident in the Heavenly Father. I personally and a whole bunch of other people who are a lot smarter than me don't agree with that sort of thinking. I think Jesus grasps 
for these, similar, these familiar words on the cross because they are all that is left in him to articulate the despair and the anguish he is feeling. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? He feels completely forsaken by God on the cross. And it's important for us to interpret it that way because to be a human being is precisely to feel sometimes, at times, the full gap and the full weight of our distance from God. You ever endured something in your life so challenging that you think, God, why have you abandoned me? God, why have you forsaken me? God, why is this happening to me? I think when we think of it that way, we see that the main point of what this text is getting at is not that we got to be strong like Jesus. The main point of this text is that Jesus has been become entirely like us. He is one of us. He's not a distant leader that we can't identify. He's not a general who's never seen the battlefield. He knows what life is like in the trenches. Jesus was born, he grew up, he lived, he laughed, he worked, he wept, he suffered, he hoped, he feared, he loved, he worried, he experienced pain and fear and anguish and despair. And he died and he was buried. He lived a fully human life and he died a fully human death. And because of that, he identifies with us in the deepest parts of our humanity. He's one of us. He belongs to us. We can trust him more than we could trust any other leader, any other God, any other human, any other friend, any other pastor, any other teacher, any other leader. He is one of us. That's the gift of this text and his suffering. And on the other side of it, the picture is that he defines what it means to be us. And I think we need a new definition of what humanity defines as us. We need it because in recent days, recent months, recent years, we have sort of been inundated with division in the United States of America, right? We have seen it in the media. We have seen uh, polarization across gender lines, race lines, class lines, ethnic lines, political lines, so many different lines. There is division. But Jesus led, and he still leads to this day, the biggest unity movement in the history of humanity. He has a desire for humanity to experience belonging and community and being a part of a group that is like no other group on the planet Earth. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading through that text, there's a lot of stuff in there. But as I was reading through that text, there was a different group of people gathered around that humble leader on the cross. And we see that Jesus, not only does he identify with all of humanity when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he was also drawing all humanity to himself. He's calling us to a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of experiencing community and belonging and having a place. At the foot of the cross was a Roman centurion. That was an enemy. That was a Gentile. That was a different race from Jesus. It was the guy overseeing the execution of Jesus who, when he saw how he died, he proclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God, the only human being in the Gospel of Mark to say Jesus is the Son of God, this Roman centurion. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a Jewish leader, same race as Jesus, but part of the ruling class that actually sentenced Jesus to death. And then there's the women the two Marys and Salome and the other woman. 
all the disciples, the men disciples, had abandoned Jesus. But the women remain. To us, that sounds like no big deal. But in Jesus' day, the women were often viewed like property. Everyone, every woman in Jesus' day, and don't laugh at this, it's, I'm serious when I'm saying this. Every woman in Jesus' day could have hashtagged me too. But if they did, they would have been severely punished, if not stoned to death for doing it. The fact that these women are main characters in the biggest narrative in the history of the world is radical 2,000 years ago. They were there with him to the end. A Roman soldier, a Jewish council member, Mary, Mary, Salome, the other women, these people had absolutely nothing in common except Jesus on the cross. And because of that, they had everything that mattered in common. And though Jesus died and was buried, the story doesn't end there. And I know that for many of you in the room, you've had hopes, you've had dreams for your life that have died and have been buried and you've said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I'm here to tell you today, my friends, that Jesus rose from the grave. So too shall we, and so too shall all our hopes and dreams. And believe it or not, that's why we have a wonderful preschool. We have an awesome preschool so those little kids can begin to see a God who loves them and says to them, you belong to me, I belong to you, you belong to each other. And we all can cry out, my God, my God, thank you for sending Jesus.